Act Two of The Father by August Strindberg. Translated by Edith and Warner Oland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Father by August Strindberg. Act Two. The same scene as in previous act. A lighted lamp is on the table. It is night. The doctor and Laura are discovered at rise of curtain. From what I gather during my conversation with him, the case is not fully proved to me. In the first place, you made a mistake by saying that he had arrived at these astonishing results about other heavenly bodies by means of a microscope. Now that I have learned that it was a spectroscope, he is not only cleared of any suspicion of insanity, but has rendered a great service to science. Yes, but I never said that. Madam, I made careful notes of our conversation, and I remember that I asked about this very point because I thought I had misunderstood you. One must be very careful in making such accusations when a certificate in lunacy is in question. A certificate in lunacy? Yes. You must surely know that an insane person loses both civil and family rights. No, I did not know that. There was another matter that seemed to me suspicious. He spoke of his communications to his booksellers not being answered. Permit me to ask if you, through motives of mistaken kindness, have intercepted them. Yes, I have. It was my duty to guard the interests of the family, and I could not let him ruin us all without some intervention. Pardon me, but I think you cannot have considered the consequences of such an act. If he discovers your secret interference in his affairs, he will have grounds for suspicions, and they will grow like an avalanche. And besides, in doing this, you have thwarted his will, and irritated him still more. You must have felt yourself how the mind rebels when one's deepest desires are thwarted, and one's will is crossed. Haven't I felt that? Think, then, what he must have gone through. Laura, rising. It is midnight, and he hasn't come home. Now we may fear the worst. But tell me, what actually happened this evening after I left? I must know everything. He raved in the wildest way, and had the strangest ideas. For instance, that he is not the father of his child. That is strange. How did such an idea come into his head? I really can't imagine. Unless it was because he had to question one of the men about supporting a child— and when I tried to defend the girl, he grew excited, and said no one could tell who was the father of a child. God knows I did everything to calm him, but now I believe there is no help for him. But this cannot go on. Something must be done, without, of course, arousing his suspicions. Tell me, has the captain ever had such delusions before? Six years ago. Things were in the same state and then he himself confessed in his own letter to the doctor that he feared for his reason. Yes, yes, yes. This is a story that has deep roots, and the sanctity of the family life, and so on. Of course, I cannot ask about everything, but must limit myself to appearances. What is done can't be undone, more's the pity, yet the remedy should be based on all the past. Where do you think he is now? I have no idea. He has such wild streaks. Would you like me to stay until he returns? 
To avoid suspicion, I could say that I had come to see your mother, who is not well. Yes, that will do very nicely. Don't leave us, doctor, if you only knew how troubled I am. But wouldn't it be better to tell him outright what you think of his condition? We never do that unless the patient mentions the subject himself, and very seldom even then. It depends entirely on the case. But we mustn't sit here. Perhaps I had better go into the next room. It will look more natural. Yes, that will be better. And Margaret can sit here. She always waits up when he is out, and she is the only one who has any power over him. Goes to the door left. Margaret? Margaret? Yes, ma'am. Has the master come home? No. But you are to sit here and wait for him. And when he does come, you are to say my mother is ill, and that's why the doctor is here. Yes, yes, I'll see that everything is all right. Laura opens the door to inner rooms. Will you come in here, doctor? Thank you. Nurse seats herself at the table and takes up a hymn book and spectacles and reads. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Ah, woe is me, how sad a thing is life within this vale of tears. Death's angel triumphs like a king, and calls aloud to all the spheres. Vanity, all is vanity. Yes, 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 yes. All that on earth hath life and breath, to earth must fall before his spear. And sorrow, saved alone from death, inscribes above the mighty bier. Vanity, all is vanity. Yes, yes. Bertha comes in with a coffee-pot and some embroidery. Margaret, may I sit with you? It is so frightfully lonely up there. For goodness sake, are you still up, Bertha? You see, I want to finish Father's Christmas presents. And here's something you'll like. But bless my soul, this won't do. You must be up in the morning, and it's after midnight now. What does it matter? I don't dare to sit up there alone. I believe the spirits are at work. You see, just what I've said. Mark my words, this house was not built on a lucky spot. What did you hear? Think of it. I heard someone singing up in the attic. In the attic? At this hour? Yes, it was such a sorrowful, melancholy song. I never heard anything like it. It sounded as if it came from the storeroom where the cradle stands. You know, to the left. Dear me, dear me, and such a fearful night. It seems as if the chimneys would blow down. Ah, what then is this earthly life, but grief, affliction, and great strife? E'en when fairest it has seemed, not but pain it can be deemed. Ah, dear child, may God give us a good Christmas. Margaret, is it true that father's ill? Yes, I'm afraid he is. Then we can't keep Christmas Eve. But how can he be up and around if he is ill? You see, my child, the kind of illness he has doesn't keep him from being up. Hush, there's someone out in the hall. Go to bed now and take the coffee-pot away, or the master will be angry. Bertha, going out with Trey. Good night, Margaret. Good night, my child. God bless you. Captain comes in, takes off his overcoat. Are you still up? Go to bed. I was only waiting till... Captain lights a candle, opens his desk, sits down at it, and takes letters and newspapers out of his pocket. Mr. Adolph? What do you want? Old mistress is ill and the doctor is here. Is it anything dangerous? No, I don't think so. Just a cold. Captain gets up. Margaret, who was the father of your child? Oh, I've told you many and many a time. 
It was that scamp Johansen. Are you sure it was he? How childish you are. Of course I'm sure when he was the only one. Yes, but what is he sure that he was the only one? No, he could not be, but you could be sure of it. There is a difference, you see. Well, I can't see any difference. No, you cannot see it, but the difference exists nonetheless. Turns over the pages of a photograph album which is on the table. Do you think Berta looks like me? Of course. Why, you are as like as two peas. Did Johansen confess that he was the father? He was forced to. Oh, terrible. Here it is the doctor. Doctor comes in. Good evening, doctor. How is my mother-in-law? Oh, it's nothing serious. Merely a slight sprain of the left ankle. I thought Margaret said it was a cold. Ah, there seem to be different opinions about the same case. Go to bed, Margaret. Nurse goes. A pause. Sit down, doctor. Doctor sits. Thanks. Is it true that you obtain striped folds if you cross a zebra and a mare? Perfectly true. Is it true that the foals continue to be striped if the breed is continued with a stallion? Yes, that is true, too. Well, that is to say, under certain conditions a stallion can be sired to striped foals, or the opposite. Yes, so it seems. Therefore, an offspring's likeness to the father proves nothing. Well... That is to say, paternity cannot be proven. Hmm. Well... You are a widower, aren't you, and have had children? Yes. Didn't you ever feel ridiculous as a father? I know of nothing so ludicrous as to see a father leading his children by the hand around the streets, or to hear a father talk about his children. My wife's children, he ought to say. Did you ever feel how false your position was? Weren't you ever afflicted by doubts? I won't say suspicions, for as a gentleman I assume that your wife was above suspicion. No, really, I never was. But, Captain, I believe Goethe says a man must take his children on good faith. It's risky to take anything on good faith where a woman is concerned. Oh, there are so many kinds of women. Modern investigations have pronounced that there is only one kind. Lately... I have recalled two instances in my life that make me believe this. When I was young, I was strong, and, if I might boast, handsome. Once, when I was making a trip on a steamer and sitting with a few friends in the saloon, the young stewardess came and flung herself down by me, burst into tears, and told us that her sweetheart was drowned. We sympathized with her, and I ordered some champagne. After the second glass, I touched her foot. After the fourth, her knee. And before morning, I had consoled her. That was just a winter fly. Now comes the second instance, and that was a real summer fly. I was at Leeskill. There was a young married woman stopping there with her children, but her husband was in town. She was religious, had extremely strict principles, preached morals to me, and I was, I believe, entirely honourable. I lent her a book, two books, and when she was leaving she returned them, strange to say. 
three months later in those very books i found her card with a declaration on it it was innocent as innocent as a declaration of love can be from a married woman to a strange man who never made any advances now comes the moral just don't have too much faith don't have too little faith either no but just enough but you see doctor that woman was so unconsciously dishonest that she talked to her husband about the fancy she had taken to me that's what makes it dangerous this very unconsciousness of their instinctive dishonesty that is a mitigating circumstance i admit but it cannot nullify judgment only soften it captain your thoughts are taking a morbid turn and you ought to control them you must not use the word morbid steam boilers as you know explode at a certain pressure but the same pressure is not needed for all boiler explosions do you understand however you are here to watch me if i were not a man i should have the right to make accusations or complaints as they are so cleverly called and perhaps i should be able to give you the whole diagnosis and what is more the history of my disease but unfortunately i am a man and there is nothing for me to do but like a roman fold my arms across my breast and hold my breath till i die captain if you are ill it will not reflect upon your honour as a man to tell me all in fact i ought to hear the other side you have had enough in hearing the one i imagine do you know when i heard mrs alving eulogizing her dead husband i thought to myself what a damned pity it was the fellow was dead do you suppose that he would have spoken if he had been alive and do you suppose that if any of the dead husbands come back they would be believed good night doctor you see that i am calm and you can retire without fear good night then captain i'm afraid i can be of no further use in this case are we enemies far from it but it is too bad we cannot be friends good night goes the captain follows the doctor to the door at back and then goes to the door at left and opens it slightly come in and we'll talk i heard you out there listening laura enters embarrassed captain sits at desk it is late but we must come to some decision sit down i have been at the post office to-night to get my letters from these it appears that you have been keeping back my mail both coming and going the consequence of which is that the loss of time has as good as destroyed the result i expected from my work it was an act of kindness on my part as you neglected the service for this other work it was hardly kindness for you were quite sure that some day i should win more honour from that than from the service but you were particularly anxious that i should not win such honours for fear your own insignificance would be emphasised by it in consequence of all this i have intercepted letters addressed to you that was a noble act you see you have as you might say a high opinion of me 
it appears from these letters that for some time past you have been arraying my old friends against me by spreading reports about my mental condition and you have succeeded in your efforts for now not more than one person exists from the colonel down to the cook who believes that i am sane now these are the facts about my illness my mind is sound as you know so that i can take care of my duties in the service as well as my responsibilities as a father my feelings are more or less under my control as my will has not been completely undermined but you have gnawed and nibbled at it so that it will soon slip its cogs and then the whole mechanism will slip and go to smash i will not appeal to your feelings for you have none that is your strength but i will appeal to your interest let me hear you have succeeded in arousing my suspicions to such an extent that my judgment is no longer clear and my thoughts begin to wander this is the approaching insanity that you are waiting for which may come at any time now so you are face to face with the question whether it is more to your interest that i should be sane or insane consider if i go under i shall lose the service and where will you be then if i die my life insurance will fall to you but if i take my own life you will get nothing consequently it is to your interest that i should live out my life is this a trap to be sure but it rests with you whether you will run around it or stick your head into it you say that you will kill yourself you won't do that are you sure do you think a man can live when he has nothing and no one to live for you surrender then no i offer peace the conditions that i may keep my reason free me from my suspicions and i give up the conflict what suspicions about berta's origin are there any doubts about that yes i have doubts and you have awakened them i yes you have dropped them like henbane in my ears and circumstances have strengthened them free me from the uncertainty tell me outright that it is true and i will forgive you beforehand how can i acknowledge a sin that i have not committed what does it matter when you know that i shall not divulge it do you think a man would go and spread his own shame broadcast if i say it isn't true you won't be convinced but if i say it is then you will be convinced you seem to hope that it is true yes strangely enough it must be because the first supposition can't be proved the latter can be have you any ground for your suspicions yes and no i believe you want to prove me guilty so that you can get rid of me and then have absolute control over the child but you won't catch me in any such snare do you think that i would want to be responsible for another man's child if i were convinced of your guilt no i'm sure you wouldn't and that's what makes me know you lied just now when you said that you would forgive me beforehand captain rises laura save me and my reason 
you don't seem to understand what i say if the child is not mine i have no control of her and don't want to have any and that is precisely what you do want isn't it but perhaps you want even more to have power over the child but still have me to support you power yes what has this whole life-and-death struggle been for but power to me it has meant more i do not believe in a hereafter the child was my future life that was my conception of immortality and perhaps the only one that has an analogy in reality if you take that away from me you cut off my life why didn't we separate in time because the child bound us together but the link became a chain and how did it happen how i have never thought about this but now memories rise up accusingly condemningly perhaps we had been married two years and had no children you know why i fell ill and lay at the point of death during a conscious interval of the fever i heard voices out in the drawing-room it was you and the lawyer talking about the fortune that i still possessed he explained that you could inherit nothing because we had no children and he asked you if you were expecting to become a mother i did not hear your reply i recovered and we had a child who is its father you no i am not here is a buried crime that begins to stench and what a hellish crime you women have been compassionate enough to free the black slaves but you have kept the white ones i have worked and slaved for you your child your mother your servants i have sacrificed promotion and career i have endured torture flagellation sleeplessness worry for your sake until my hair has grown gray and all that you might enjoy a life without care and when you grow old enjoy life over again in your child i have borne everything without complaint because i thought myself the father of your child this is the commonest kind of theft the most brutal slavery i have had seventeen years of penal servitude and have been innocent what can you give me in return for that oh now you are quite mad that is your hope and i see how you have labored to conceal your crime i sympathize with you because i did not understand your grief i have often lulled your evil conscience to rest when i thought i was driving away morbid thoughts i have heard you cry in your sleep and not wanted to listen i remember now night before last bertha's birthday it was between two and three in the morning and i was sitting up reading you shrieked don't don't as if someone were strangling you i knocked on the wall i didn't want to hear any more i have had my suspicions for a long time but i did not dare to hear them confirmed all this i have suffered for you what will you do for me 
What can I do? I will swear by God and all I hold sacred that you are Berta's father. What use is that, when you have often said that a mother can and ought to commit any crime for her child? I implore you, as a wounded man begs for a death-blow, to tell me all. Don't you see I'm as helpless as a child? Don't you hear me complaining as to a mother? Won't you forget that I am a man, that I am a soldier who can tame men and beasts with a word? Like a sick man, I only ask for compassion. I lay down the tokens of my power, and implore you to have mercy on my life. Laura approaches him and lays her hand on his brow. What? You are crying, man. Yes, I am crying, although I am a man. But has not a man eyes? Has not a man hands, limbs, senses, thoughts, passions? Is he not fed with the wine-food, hurt by the same weapons, warmed and cooled by the same summer and winter as a woman? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? And if you poison us, do we not die? Why shouldn't a man complain, a soldier weep? Because it is unmanly? Why is it unmanly? Weep, then, my child, as if you were with your mother once more. Do you remember when I first came into your life? I was like a second mother. Your great strong body needed nerves. You were a great child that had either come too early into the world, or perhaps was not wanted at all. Yes, that's how it was. My father's and my mother's will was against my coming into the world, and consequently I was born without a will. I thought I was completing myself when you and I became one, and therefore you were allowed to rule, and I, the commander at the barracks and before the troops, became obedient to you, grew through you, looked up to you as to a more highly gifted being, Listen to you as if I had been your undeveloped child. Yes, that's the way it was. And therefore I loved you as my child. But you know you must have seen, when the nature of your feelings changed and you appeared as my lover, that I blushed, and your embraces were joy that was followed by a remorseful consequence, as if my blood were ashamed. The mother became the mistress. Ugh! I saw it, but I did not understand. I believed you despised me for my unmanliness, and I wanted to win you as a woman by being a man. Yes, but there was the mistake. The mother was your friend, you see, but the woman was your enemy. And love between the sexes is strife. Do not think that I gave myself. I did not give, but I took what I wanted. But you had one advantage. I felt that, and I wanted you to feel it. You always had the advantage. You could hypnotize me when I was wide awake, so that I never saw nor heard, but merely obeyed. 
You could give me a raw potato and make me imagine it was a peach. You could force me to admire your foolish caprices as though they were strokes of genius. You could have influenced me to crime, yes, even to mean paltry deeds. Because you lacked intelligence, instead of carrying out my ideas, you acted on your own judgment. But when at last I awoke, I realized that my honor had been corrupted, and I wanted to blot out the memory by a great deed, an achievement, a discovery, or an honorable suicide. I wanted to go to war, but was not permitted. It was then that I threw myself into science, and now, when I was about to reach out my hand and gather in its fruit, you chop off my arm. Now I am dishonored, and can live no longer, for a man cannot live without honor. But a woman? Yes, for she has her children, which she has not. But, like the rest of mankind, we lived our lives unconscious as children, full of imagination, ideals, and illusions. And then we awoke. It was all over. But we awoke with our feet on the pillow, and he who waked us was himself a sleepwalker. When women grow old and cease to be women, they get beards on their chins. I wonder what men get when they grow old and cease to be men. Those who crowed were no longer cocks but capons, and the pullets answered their call, so that when we thought the sun was about to rise, we found ourselves in the bright moonlight amid ruins, just as in the good old times. It had only been a little morning slumber with wild dreams, and there was no awakening. Do you know? You should have been a poet. Who knows? Oh, now I am sleepy. So if you have any more fantastic visions, keep them till tomorrow. First, a word about realities. Do you hate me? Yes. Sometimes. When you are a man. This is like race hatred. If it is true that we are descended from monkeys, at least it must be from two separate species. We are certainly not like one another, are we? What do you mean to say by all this? I feel that one of us must go under in this struggle. Which? The weaker, of course. And the stronger will be in the right? Always, since he has the power. Then I am in the right. Have you the power already, then? Yes and a legal power with which I shall put you under the control of a guardian. Under a guardian? And then I shall educate my child without listening to your fantastic notions. And who will pay for the education when I am no longer here? Your pension will pay for it. How can you put me under a guardian? Laura takes out a letter. With this letter, of which an attested copy is in the hands of the Board of Lunacy. What letter? Laura, moving backward toward the door left. Yours. Your declaration to the doctor that you are insane. The captain stares at her in silence. Now you have fulfilled your function, as an unfortunately necessary father and breadwinner. You are not needed any longer, and you must go. You must go, 
since you have realised that my intellect is as strong as my will, and since you will not stay and acknowledge it. The captain goes to the table, seizes the lighted lamp, and hurls it at Laura, who disappears backward through the door. End of Act Two